Hello everyone and welcome back to the 8th, 9th, 8th or 9th episode of the Kook Fan Podcast. My name is Jamie Vinnick, one of the staff writers at kookfan.com, and I am rejoined by my partner Jacob Stevenson, who was absent last week on vacation, but Jacob's back. How you doing, Jacob? I'm good, Jamie. It's nice to be back. How are you doing? Doing well, doing well. So we've actually got a pretty uh, full slate of topics. A um, couple things that we'll talk about just on our own, and then we have a bunch of questions, so... Thank you to everyone who sent in questions on the Kook Fan message boards or on Twitter. It uh, gives us some stuff to talk about, some pretty good topics. But uh, we'll start from the jump. The most important news for the Kooks this week, Joseph Manjack is the 17th member of the Washington State class. He is a three-star receiver from Tomball, Texas, at a, or Memorial High School in Tomball, Texas. Uh, Manjack is rated as an 84 on the 247 composite. We prefer the 247 sports uh, own rating where he is an 86. Uh, the 111th receiver in the country and 127th in Texas. Uh, big kid, 6'3", 200 pounds. He had offers from a handful of teams. He was actually committed to SMU uh, not that long ago. Um, decommitted because I think they wanted to play tight end. Uh, he also had interest from Arizona, Colorado, Kansas, uh, and notably Wisconsin. And uh, Wisconsin's you know receiver room started to fill up a little bit, and I think the Cougs really pushed ahead and were able to grab his commitment. So he's the third wide receiver in the class, and uh, – Really their first true big physical threat. Sion Nunnally's big at 6'2", but he's not all that heavy. He's only about a uh, buck 95. Um, he's definitely an outside receiver, but this is like a big, big time, put the ball up, let him go get it, Jared Karstetter type. Yeah, uh, man, Jack, you did mention, decommitted from SMU, and uh, uh, Great Bickens, I believe. Uh, Gabe Brooks, I don't know why it's a great Gabe uh, Bickens, but... Uh, Kate Brooks from uh, 247 wrote an article talking about him as a player, uh, mentioned that his final three after decommitting from SMU was uh, uh, Washington State, Wisconsin, Kansas. But uh, he's a big receiver, 6'3", 200 pounds, so a good job high-pointing the ball, catching with his hands, but a uh, big weapon and uh, had, was a pretty productive player for uh, in Texas high school football last year. But another, another outside receiver and another – Decent commit for the Cougs. Yeah, it's a good pickup. And he was a guy that uh, Wazoo had been on before he committed, then committed and it's like, all right, well, you know. And I remember seeing he decommitted. I actually remember seeing he decommitted in the middle of one of our episodes and saying, oh, you know, maybe Wazoo re-looks at him. But obviously they took a, a very big relook at him, and they've got their, their third receiver of the class. And we'll talk a little bit more about receiver recruiting later. We've got a couple questions on it. but So, yeah, so that's the 17th commit. Uh, the Texas pipeline really continues. Wazoo has – Liked their Texas boys in this class. Uh, now four out of Texas. Uh, only Cal- only more players from California. Those four being Ram Stevenson, uh, Man Jack, and then Adrian Shepard and Javion Gibson. So definitely getting involved in the, the Lone Star State, which is good to see. That state produces a lot of very good, very, very good football players. Yeah, uh... There's a lot of really good football players coming out of Texas, and uh, as we've seen from Rolla's class, there uh, was a em- emphasis from the fans and also Rolla's staff to recruit in Washington, and uh, we've talked about Washington recruiting, but uh, there's bigger states like Texas, Florida, uh, Texas, Florida, California, Georgia now, but uh, for Washington State on the West Coast, you're going to see, for those big type of states where you want to have a pipeline, you want to get talent from, uh it's nice to have a relationship with uh, teams and schools 
teams and uh, schools from uh, California and Texas. Yeah, I definitely agree there. Um, and I think we'll see the, that kind of become one of the really feature states in this in uh, the recruiting cycles, and then obviously Washington and California as well. Uh, next topic is, seems like every week we talk about him, TJ Patu, uh, three-star linebacker from La Habra, California, 6'4", 210. Uh, again, we've mentioned him a lot. I've talked about, you know, my, uh, you know, how how I see him as a player. Uh, so we announced earlier this week that he's going to be making his decision in November. I didn't exactly say when, but sometime in early November. And then Greg Biggins went on and said that the Cougs in Colorado seem to be the two kind of front runners. So it might be a Pac-12 battle. His other final four members were San Jose State and Fresno State, although there's been some speculation Fresno State might be out of room, um, which is a little interesting. I, you know, I feel like that'd be a guy that they'd take for sure. Um, just with his abilities, but it does seem like it's going to be the Cougs battling Colorado, and you know it's it's one of those recruiting battles that we'll see. You know, it's one that you really hope Rolo can pull in because as we've talked about it a million times, he's really really talented. I mean, he'd be one of the better recruits in the class, and would probably end up a four star when it's all said and done. Yeah, uh, Potu would be a big get for uh, Washington State, but you did you did mention that uh, it seems like every week we're talking about him and updates on his recruitment, but. Uh, Looks like sooner than later, we're already, tomorrow's going to be September, which I remember in May, we've been, we're talking about Washington State recruiting. Mm-hmm. It's going by so fast, but uh, yeah, the class is filling up. Only eight spots left, I believe, and yep. it's signing day in three months, but uh, it's really filling up. Yep. And we'll see, you know, uh, hopefully he becomes a member of that signing class. Uh, so third topic, and then we'll go into the many questions we have. Um, so third thing to mention, so tomorrow in I, I'm going to say it right now. We're mentioning this because it's relevant. I don't fully understand all the logistical parts of this, but tomorrow is officially the day where coaches can contact 2022 recruits. And I think that goes across all sports, um, at least on this schedule. So football, I think baseball, a couple others maybe. So the, the reason I say I'm not sure on the logistics because there are plenty of guys who are committed from 2022. I mean, so I don't know if maybe there was a different period where you could talk to them. Or if the kids just committed without much contact with the coaches outside their offer, I can't. I'm not going to say for sure. I, I genuinely am not sure. I looked everywhere to try and figure it out ahead of this, and I couldn't get the clear cut answer. So I guess tomorrow is the official day where coaches can contact players. Um, so it should be interesting to watch tomorrow. And again, we're I should say we're recording this um, on a Monday evening. So when I say tomorrow, I should say September first. So. Uh, it's Tuesday that, that this all happens. We're recording on Monday evening. But uh, anyways, so yeah, that'll be interesting to watch. We could see some more uh, 2022 offers go out. They sent out a pretty good amount last week. Um, the Cougs did a bunch in Texas as per usual, and then uh, they stayed busy trying to get those those offers out. And, you know, I think that'll be good for Wazoo. I think we might start to see uh, some more of where they might stand with some of these 2022 gets especially some of the in-state kids we've talked about Kieran Collins uh, and Tristan Dunn extensively about guys that you know high high uh, highly rated in-state talent that they're probably going to be going pretty hard after to try and try and get early before other teams get involved and you know I, I said I, I like their chances with Collins I like their Collins I like their chances with Dunn um, but it should be interesting to kind of watch how that starts to unfold with still the 2021 class to fill and then some 2022 involvement happening as well. Yeah, it's uh, it's gonna be interesting, especially because there's no football in the fall. So I'm, I'm the recruiting hours are still the same. There's still not much time to recruit officially and talk to recruits. But uh, 
in terms of sitting down and figuring out like who you want to go after and doing that type of stuff for recruiting and walking tape on like on your own, I'm sure they're gonna, they're going to have more time because they're not preparing for games every weekend. Right. But uh, it's going to be it's, it's going to be even more interesting to pay attention to recruiting just because there's nothing else that's going on. Mm-hmm. And keep in mind too, they can't have visits, so you know yeah, I, I don't which, think it'll also be weird, and especially for a place like Washington State. We've talked about this a hundred times for how remote Washington State is and mm-hmm. just for living in Pullman for four years. Part of the reason you'll love Washington State's just because of how different it is from anything else. And for people not to really experience that, I think it's going to be – it's harder for Washington State to recruit than other places. Right. And I should, and we should say even though, you know, that, that officially starts, I wouldn't say we expect the Cougs to all of a sudden get a bunch of 2022 commits. Usually, I mean, the last couple of years, their first commit this year was in May, obviously in an odd year. Um, last year, I, I'm pretty sure it was mid-March, so, you know, it won't be quite yet. But who knows? Again, that was under Mike Leach, where they kind of focused one recruiting class at a time. Whereas, meanwhile, you know, Rolo's already got offers out to kids as late as 2024. Cole Welliver, uh, Kennedy's backup quarterback to Sam Heward, who will obviously be the starter when Heward graduates. And then, you know, a handful out in 2023 as well. So he has shown that he's... He's going to be aggressive on the recruiting trail, and it's actually done him well. Just a quick little segue. Uh, Gabari Johnson, who's the quarterback at Lincoln, uh, 6'298 pounder, 2023 kid. Uh, there was, Brandon Huffman was saying in an earlier in an article written earlier today that you know there's some there's a little bit of buzz between Johnson and Wazoo right now, and that the fact that the Cougs have uh, you know stayed aggressive on him, uh, you know maybe something. And again, his signing day isn't for another three years, so uh, we're not. We're not there yet, but, uh, you know, something to keep an eye on that maybe getting on early can, um, you know, can get you a little momentum. Yeah, uh, especially for uh, when you, you want to make relationships with recruits, and that's something everybody knows, and it's important with recruiting. You want to mm-hmm. have relationships, but for high-level guys, for guys who are going to be top 100, top 150-level recruits, you're gonna; those guys are gonna get recruited more than your three two-star prospects are gonna get recruited earlier and recruit heavier. Heavier. So for a school like Washington State, it's really important that they have an early relationship with them because they're not gonna go in there with three months left offering a formal relationship with the kid. They're not gonna be able to do that. But schools like Alabama, Oregon, those schools are gonna be able to go in there late because of the name, because of the facilities, all that stuff that goes on with going to Oregon or going to Alabama, you can go in there and offer a kid late. But for a school like Washington State, if you really want to recruit a kid and land a kid that's really highly regarded, it needs to be – you have to focus on the relationship, I think, more than some of those other schools. Yeah. And uh, have the relationship get started earlier, Yep. if that makes sense. No, yeah. No, you're absolutely right. You, know, you don't have the luxury – you know, with – I mean, you can sometimes maybe do it with some more, you know, like Mountain West type guys, if that makes sense. Um but, you know, so lower guys, but, you know, if you want, like, the big-time recruits, you know, you've got to get on them early because, yeah, you know, you don't have the luxury that maybe, like, a you know, when Alabama offers, it doesn't matter who it is, nine times out of ten, you're going to take notice, like, that's Alabama. And that's just, you know, what winning national championships does. <laughs> you know, it's a national brand. Um, so, you know, that's that's why I think we will see a more aggressive recruiting approach. Or approach. Uh, in, yeah, if you go ahead, sorry. Schools. With that normally get the commits earlier, it's schools like if Washington State does get a commit, it's a kid you know he's got not less interest or uh, unreally unrecruited, and Washington State takes an eye on him and they talk about how much they love the coaching staff and they know it's it. 
or you know and that stuff does happen too with oklahoma's recruiting and alabama's recruiting you get recruited by them and you're like yeah this is it i want to go there and especially if you're getting recruited by alabama and you just have Vanderbilt offering you, uh, Old Miss is talking to you, and a bunch of assembled schools you get talked to by Alabama, you're like, whoa. Yeah. But it's it's a lot easier for those type of schools to recruit, and that's not nothing new. But if you do go up and down and look at the commits for 2022, 2023, it's a lot of the bigger schools and schools like Washington State. Right. No, that that is absolutely true, you know, and that's just, you know, and like, like I said, the last couple of years, the Cougs haven't really gotten their uh, um, any real commits until later in the cycle. I mean, Ohio State already has five commits for 2022. Yeah. O- Ohio said. State had more 20 had three 2022 commits before the Cougs had a 2021 commit, and obviously we're not comparing the two schools. Ohio State's Ohio State, uh, but I just you know that's just a funny note and kind of a testament more maybe than anything to how good Ohio State's recruiting is. But the, the schools with the most commitments for the 2022 class, LSU, Ohio State, Penn State, Notre Dame, those are big names. Yeah, I mean, those are... The schools with one commit, you got BYU, Mississippi State, Oklahoma State, Boston College, Florida, Oregon, Minnesota. You still got a couple big names, but Boston College, Maryland, Oklahoma State are definitely less names than Penn State, Ohio State, and LSU. Yeah, and I think, and like I said, I think Rolo's aggressiveness, it might end up, we might see a 2022 commit earlier than we had in the past, but... You know, they're still their focus is still going to be closing the twenty twenty one class. And it's hard to say, especially last year too, because you know, when Roller got hired, his first thing is he had to close out his, the twenty twenty class and then focus on twenty twenty one and COVID hit, et cetera. So in a normal year he probably would have had a commit earlier, but it'll be interesting to watch. I think we've seen, you know, it's definitely a different recruiting strategy than we saw under Mike Leach. And that's not to say Leach's recruiting strategy was bad. It was just different. I mean, Leach won a lot of football games here. Whatever his strategy was, it worked. I mean, the you know, five straight bowl games, winning seasons, it worked for Leach. And I just think we'll see Rolo take a bit of a different approach, whereas Leach's maybe was, you know, get get guys that we think we could come in and develop, um, whereas Rolo might be trying to get some some higher-rated players than maybe we saw Mike Leach go after. Um, but anyway, so moving on to the questions, we have a bunch of them. So here we go. Uh, do you expect the Cougs to take a full class for 21, um, or do you expect them to take less to allow a full class in 2022? Uh, at this point, everything that we've uh, been pointed to is that they're taking a full 2021 class. Now, uh, that would put them over the scholarship limit, but I think with a new coach, and especially with everything going on, there's going to be probably some more attrition. It's just the nature of the beast. We're not going to speculate who or anything, but... Um, there, there will be, there might be guys that leave guys that get injury or get injured, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so yeah, I expect the full class. And then I think you might see them maybe take a bit different approach in 2022, just depending on scholarships or how many guys do indeed leave. Um, that being all said though, I don't think the Cougs are going to force their hand into a 25 man class. So if there's, if they've got 23 guys that they love, and then they feel like the last two spots would be just offering a scholarship to offer a scholarship. I don't think we'll see them do that. I don't think they'll just they'll take a guy just to hit 25. I think they're going to if they have 25 guys that they want, then they'll take 25 guys. If they have 23, they'll take 23 so on. But I don't I do think I should say that. I don't think the numbers will stop them from taking a full class. 
Oh, sorry. I thought you were done. No, that's that's my bad. Go ahead. Oh, I do agree that they're not going to take 25 guys unless they have 25 guys they want. Maybe it'll take 24. Maybe it'll take 23. And you do see schools do that sometimes where 25 spots, they take 22. And that's just kind of how it goes. And things weird, weird things happen. You get grad transfer. It's a kid signs a financial aid thing late. You get a regular transfer. So sometimes now, especially with more kids transferring, you see more spots open for those type of players. But I think you kind of got to do everything as normal as possible, even though it's a weird year and a weird situation and nothing's really normal and across the college football landscape, you have to recruit and you have to prepare and you have to just act like it's normal as possible. And then you ingest this when you get new information. So I think you're, you're going to recruit 2021 like you normally would, but depending on how many players return to the 2022 season, how many kids transfer and there's so many other variables, maybe the NCAA levels, them take have more scholarships don't really know right now what they're going to do for 2022 but if i had to guess they're probably going to have to recruit a little bit differently just because the the uncertainty with scholarships and how many guys are returning but uh we won't really know what their full plans are for 2022 and how they're going to recruit until really a few months later a few months later than now yeah and the key thing to remember is too is when it comes to 2021 is you know, they're not at the point where they're just taking guys, you know, that, that taking guys just for the best player, if that makes sense. Um, they're obviously, they're, if, you know, great players come along, they're going to take them, but they still have positions to fill. That's what I'm trying to say. I didn't convey that very well, but, you know, they the still... The kid from calls Wazoo. I can't pronounce his name. Emeka Buka. Yeah, they're not going to tell Emeka Buka, no. and says, I want to play, they're going to take him. Yeah, and that will happen even if they have 25 guys, you know, if... If Corey Foreman, the number one player in the country, calls the Cougs and they have 25 guys that I want to be a Coug, uh, they're going to say yes. No, we do not expect Corey Foreman or Emeka Buka to become no, Cougs. If they do, we will be the first to tell you. Yeah, no. We I, will be very excited. But that's not going to happen. There's right. very little chance that's going to happen. Certain, and there's certain guys every year that, you know, that they're going to they'll make room for. And it's different from every school, you know. Alabama will make room for guys like Corey Foreman, JT Tuimolau, etc., uh, I would think Wazoo at this point, and this is specu- or just speculating, um, would probably make room. You know, if Jabez Tanai wanted to to flip in the Cougs had a full class, I think they would take him. They'd probably take Josh McCarron, Jacob Schuster. Some of these in-state targets they've been going after, um, I think they would keep a spot for or make a, make something work. But uh, but no, back to the original point is, you know, they still need a running back. They don't have a running back committed, and we'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, I think they still want another receiver or two. They still probably would prefer one more offensive lineman, one more defensive lineman, one more linebacker, and a couple DBs. So they still have some positional needs to fill before they can just say, oh, you know, we'll take this guy uh, just because we like this or that about him. So kind of that sort of situation. They still have eight spots left to fill, and they need a running back. They need an outside corner. And then there's a couple positions where I'd say they probably need another defensive lineman, but everything else is like, oh, you'd like a guy there, you'd like a guy there, but – Outside of maybe three or four uh, spots, they don't really need anything. It's just kind of adding depth to positions and trying to fill fill out your class. But uh, outside of three or four guys, I think when uh, not outside of three or four guys, three or four spots get filled. That's when you're going to see them just start to take guys. Yeah. Oh well, here's another receiver, and he's just really good, so we're going to keep him. I think Mm -hmm. you're going to see more of that after they get their corner, after they get their defensive lineman, after they get the running back. Yeah. who knows, like sometimes they'll, they might not get a running back until 
November, right? But they might get one in a week, so you just don't know. But I think that outside of three spots or four spots, the rest are kind of for grabs. Where the who's going to get them based on position? Yeah, I would say the three spots for sure are corner, running back, and receiver. Um, they do have four D line commits. I think that they want to take another one, but you know, I don't. I don't know if they miss on some of these remaining targets they have, like Jaden Jones. Uh, I don't know if they're going to start running into desperation and just start throwing offers out just to take a D lineman, whereas that might not be the case with running back or receiver, where they they're going to want to take uh, obviously at least one running back and a couple more receivers. But uh, moving on, and we'll, we'll a lot of the positional stuff actually gets covered in these questions, so we'll we'll talk about it uh, on the receiver note um, and actually a quarterback note too. Is it possible we only take one quarterback for the class of twenty one? Uh, if yes, is it possible we take five receivers with one being a JUCO guy that can contribute immediately? Uh, so we'll start with the quarterback. I, I think the expectation is right now they'll, they'll take Xavier Ward and that'll be that. Um, I don't think we expect them right now to take a second quarterback. That doesn't mean it's impossible, but um, you know the way I look at it is since they got Ward, they haven't offered a quarterback. Uh, they haven't even been rumored to be looking at another quarterback right now. So as long as Ward stays committed, I think they stick with one. The only other way it could change is if maybe someone leaves. Uh, but I think they're pretty much set with Xavier Ward. Yeah, I think they're pretty much set too. But, uh, yeah, it's just who knows, honestly. We have an idea, but nothing really will completely surprise me. But uh, with just with how weird everything is. But uh, I'll be pretty shocked if they take another quarterback. But uh, with the receiver position, I, who, who really knows? Yeah, to answer that, um, I think they, they definitely take a fourth receiver. I don't think there's any way we see this class close with three receivers. Uh, I don't think five is an impossibility. I think it just depends on who the guy is. Again, if they took a fifth receiver, it would be someone that they really, really like and say, yeah, this is a guy we got to take. Um, I don't think they're going to take a fifth receiver just to take a fifth receiver. It'd have to be someone that you know really moves the needle for them. Uh, as for Juco guys... Uh, it's possible they haven't really pursued many JUCO receivers. Uh, the only JUCO guys they've offered at this point are Caden Robinson, who committed to, I believe, UCF, if my memory serves me. Um, yeah, and then Quartarius Tolbert, who he reported an offer a while back, but that's about all we've heard about him. Uh, he doesn't even have a 247 page. So um, I, I would say that they would take a JUCO receiver. I don't think they'd be against it, but I don't think they're actively pursuing one. Um, I don't think it's on their list to say we have to get a Juco guy. You know, it's just if they find a guy they really like, they'll take him. Yeah, and two, when you think about, like, recruiting, especially Juco guys, there's really highly regarded Juco guys, and a lot of those guys are the dudes who you have a really good freshman season or they're really good in high school and they don't qualify or something weird happens. Mm -hmm. But some dudes like Aesop Winston, uh, Juco players, uh, there's got a bunch of guys you find – kind of later in the period and because they maybe blow up late so maybe there's because they play well they blow up late so maybe there's a kid who uh they find in december and they offer but he's not really highly recruited like washington state did uh late in the class they uh got a, the kid from uh Lane, Lane, uh oh amir, amir mujahid amir mujahid another guy had a really nice year for Lane. Community college, you can watch that on uh, last chance on last chance U actually the mm -hmm. last chance U school, but uh, he blew up late. Washington State offered him. He was a guy who nobody knew Washington State was recruiting. Aesop Winston, really nice year recruitment. 
the Russians had recruited him late, uh, committed there. So you could see guys like that. Washington State maybe takes, but uh, you're you're not going to take a JUCO guy. Just take a JUCO guy. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Um, yeah. There was. I mean, they took Antonio Pulele because they wanted to to add some some depth at the D line. They took Jalen Watson this past uh, June because they need they wanted to add a cornerback. So you know, I think you know there are times where you know you'll look specifically for a JUCO guy. I think that uh, that might be true with Fred Tompkins because they were going to be losing a lot of linebackers. Um, but I don't think it's on their board to say we have to get a Juco receiver. If they find one they like, then I think they'll take him. They're not going to be, you know, against taking one by any means. And if you look at Fred Tompkins, he had a really nice year as a freshman at uh, San Francisco Community College. But mm-hmm. uh, Washington State got him in July, I believe. Yeah. He committed. Yep. July. So there was already interest there was already recruiting he wasn't one of those guys who just kind of had a good year all of a sudden yeah so unless you those juco kids who you know from high school had a really good freshman year they're going to be recruited late just because of how it works so uh yeah it's it juco recruiting is interesting it's a little bit different than it's a lot different actually than regular high school recruiting yeah um moving on are there any more insight where we are on with uh, Justin Johnson and Quan Powell, the two running backs the Cougs are actively uh, in the mix for? So Johnson, no. He has kept his recruitment as tight to the vest as anyone I've seen in the last couple of years. Um, he announced his top six back in late June. The Cougs were part of it with uh, West Virginia, Cal, um, uh, West Virginia, Cal, Minnesota, and then Louisville, who is not considered to be part of it anymore, and Michigan State. Uh, he then told Alan True he's announcing in late September, and that is about all we know. Uh, there isn't really one way it's pointing. Um, I think the Cougs, I mean, as far as I know, they're in the mix, um, but there's not really a lead necessarily that is at least publicly known. Uh, Kwan Powell does not seem to be trending the Cougs' way right now. Uh, he has a couple of crystal balls to South Florida from J.J. Garrett and Will Turner, uh, who are both South Florida publishers, and uh, not your traditional uh, like team writers, those guys are both really good and they know what's going on. So, you know, I think at that point it might be a, a proximity thing. Um, Vernon, Florida, a lot closer to South Florida, or South Florida's a lot closer to Vernon, Florida than Pullman is. Um, but, but we'll see. I mean, you know, the crystal balls are not the end all be all. They do give an indication though. And uh, they are a lot of times, um, you know, accurate and can give a pretty good feel of where a guy's trending. So it doesn't seem like Powell's trending to Wazoo right now, um, but we'll see that can always change. If they miss on Powell and Johnson, then things become a little more interesting because they don't they don't have any other running backs they're really looking at, um, and I they won't. I don't see them not taking a running back. They've got to take one with Dion McIntosh graduating, with the uncertainty about you know would Max Borgie declare depending on his season. They've got to take one. So. I would think that they might go in-state. There's a couple guys we've talked about. Uh, Jock bought a lot of bird sale, Tuna Altahir, Caleb Qualamon that they could look at. Uh, if not, there could be another guy that we just don't know about that they've been in contact with or something. Um, obviously, the hope is that they can land Johnson or Powell, but uh, they, I do think they will take a running back no matter what. Yeah, they kind of have to take a running back, whoever, whoever they want. But, uh, yeah, you made a really good point of uh, if they don't get Johnson or Powell, they will still take a running back because kind of have to take a running back. Mm-hmm. But it, it just would become a matter of who are we going to start recruiting and who are, who are we going to offer. Yep, pretty much. Uh, next question, are we looking at anyone in American Samoa? Um, 
it's hard to say. You know, a lot of times with the Samoan prospects, you don't really hear about them until they commit one way or another, like Falili Famo last year. Like, we didn't know about him until Wazoo got him. Uh, I will say this. If there is a, a high-caliber prospect in American Samoa, then there's a good chance Nick Rolovich is recruiting him. I don't know that there is. Um, and I, again, I, and if there is, I don't know that he is, but I would say that likelihood would point to that just based off his past and how he's recruited Samoa in the past. Um, I don't think, I think it's an entirely real possibility that if there is a kid that they like, um, and that they think can play at the Pac-12 level, then I would say there's a good chance Rolo would be one of the guys recruiting him very actively. Yeah. Uh, we, we kind of, we've talked about how like regular recruiting, how, just how you find the information out in, mm-hmm. in the United States. But, like, with American Samoa, unless a kid goes to a camp, unless a kid posts an offer or commits, there's really no way of us knowing just because they're so far away. And right. They're not really traveling. Most of the time, they're not traveling off the island, a lot of those kids. But uh, it's just hard to find out information about what's going on there. So, uh, yeah, and that can be said, if, too, sometimes they, in general. I'm sure they are looking at kids at American Samoa. There's always a couple kids who go play Division One football, and with uh, the Hawaiian Island, the island connections, and uh, just Washington State and Hawaii. Washington State's old staff, but Hawaii to uh, with Rolovich is there recruiting uh, American Samoa. I'm sure that they're looking at players there. We just don't know who. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So it'll be something to keep an eye on. But yeah, we not really any insight on that right now. Um, okay, we got a handful more questions. We'll probably start to go a little rapid fire on some of these. This, this next question is for you. Okay, I'll take this one. Uh, are we done on the defensive line, um, or are there any more defensive tackles out there? I know we were pushing for Jacob Schuster, but it seems he may be a Cowling. So, yeah, so Schuster, it seems like right now, uh, the Cougs have been pushing hard. They're in the, uh, they've been in the mix, but it does seem, again, based off the crystal balls, that he might be headed to either Cal or Stanford. I think Cal has Brandon Huffman's crystal ball right now. Um, as for anyone else along the D-line, I think the main target right now is Jaden Jones, the former North Texas commander who seems to be kind of focused on uh, Wazoo, Ca- or Wazoo, Colorado, uh, Kansas, and there was one other school, uh, Arizona. So I think he might be their last big target on the, uh, the D-line. They were looking at Alani Maafu, defensive tackle out of Arizona. Um, but that, that was, he said that, or the report was from Blair Angulo, that Wazoo and I think it was Iowa State were pushing the hardest for him. That was all the way back in late June, and we haven't really heard anything since. Um, so I, I don't know if he's still a take, still a target. Kind of a little bit up in the air with that one. Outside of those guys, I don't think there are any other guys they are really actively pursuing. Uh, they're listed as being warm for Jalen Weaver on 247, but uh, I think Braulio Perez from Crook Van checked in and he said that Wazoo hadn't been in contact for a while, and he seems like Arizona State's the leader for him anyways. Um, so it might be a situation where they take Jones. If they if they get Jones, they'll take him. If not, they might just take their uh, their four guys on the defensive line and you know be pretty pretty happy with uh, Stevenson, Young, Edson, and uh, Gusta. So I would say that's probably where the defensive line recruiting stands. Obviously, guys can pop up. You never know. Um, but I think right now I would say if they don't get Jones, they'll probably settle for four, which is, and by settle, I mean, they'll just take the four they got. They got a good group of tackles or good group of defensive linemen in this class. Uh, next question. What does February football look like in Pullman? Are we playing packed after dark in empty stadiums and freezing temps? Are we playing at all? Um, 
honestly, I, I don't really, I don't think we have an answer for that. Uh, I you would imagine they'd have to play some games after dark. I, I, but I don't know if we're playing. You know, don't know if the stadiums will be empty. That's just, you know, I, I don't think you can give a, a question or an answer to that question. Uh, just because of how fluid everything is, not just with college football, but with the world too. It's just, there, there isn't a, a definitive answer uh, right now. We just don't really know if they do play in February, what it would look like. It's going to be yeah, cold, we we'll tell you that much. We don't, we don't really know. Yeah. Uh, it's August, uh, February, football. Uh, we we don't know. It depends on really the virus, if we get to play. Like, we're not, I'm not going to try to be a doctor, but uh, yeah. It just yeah, if we get to play, hopefully, hopefully we do. Hopefully, it's safe enough, and yeah, everybody gets to play, and uh, hopefully, you know, there's fans. But it, there's so much uncertainty with that, and uh, TV schedule too. Like you know, we don't know. I'm sure sometimes we're gonna be playing at three o'clock. Sometimes we're gonna be playing at nine o'clock. Depends on the TV. Big Ten. Yeah. Hopefully, we'll also be playing along with the Mountain West and the MAC. So, I'm guessing you're gonna see a lot of afternoon and night games like you normally do, but uh. Yeah, I think there's just a lot of of uh, uncertainty there. It wouldn't shock me if we saw some weird times, though, as well. Uh, next question. Any new news on Larry Scott's future with the Pac-12? What do the players think about him, him and how he spends his money? Why are they not going after Scott's job? Again, it's just, you know, we don't really know what's going on internally with the Pac-12. Um, you know, the, John Wilner did have a report earlier on uh, talking how there might be some big kind of uh, changes within, I don't know if that meant personnel or just operations, etc. Um, it said, the Pac-12 CEO is considering overhaul the entire composition of the conference structure, hiring an advisor who would directly report to the presence. I don't know how that affects Larry Scott, etc. Um, I don't, and again, don't really know what the players think of him. Um, you know, they don't really come out and say it. Uh, and then, you know, uh, I don't know why they aren't going after Scott's job. Again, it's just one of those things that those are those are questions that, that you know to be to be frank are uh, above above our pay grade you know a little more for uh, higher up than what we know or don't know it's kind of more uh, executive questions that we're not entirely sure about so we don't want to start giving these random answers and start speculating over stuff that we just don't really have an idea on. Yeah, we don't really know kind of the what's going on in the Pac-12 room. Uh, fortunately, we heard that they laid off they fired all their digital team and they laid. I want to say 80 people, it might have been 90, somewhere in there, but uh, we don't really know about Larry Scott's future and just how people are feeling towards him and the Pac-12 right now. Yeah, we know how the fans feel. I mean, that's, I don't think, a secret, yeah. but we don't you necessarily know how the... Twitter, search his name, you can see how people feel. Yeah, we don't necessarily know how the players, coaches, etc. feel. Um, does the Pac-12 take a recruiting hit from not playing fall ball if other leagues finish the season and have the eyes of all the recruits? Um, I, I mean, I think... Yes, I, I think naturally there's going to be some effect to it. But at the end of the day, I think most of the kids that are going to be committing for this year, um, you know, I think they know that by now, I think the assumption is by fall of 2021, you know, we'll, we will be playing football. Uh, what that will look like is a different question and what we won't go into or speculate much. But I, I think it'd be a very big surprise if, uh, we weren't back to playing college football in the fall of 2021. So does it have an effect? Maybe, you know, um, maybe maybe a team that kind of emerges can show off, you know, if a, a lower team, like maybe, you know, Vanderbilt, I'll use an example. If Vanderbilt wins 11 games, sure, that helps their recruiting. Um, but I don't think it, at the same time, I don't think it necessarily negatively affects 
the Pac-12 um, directly. The only way it could do that is if they're pursuing a kid that commits to a different school because he saw them play this year or something like that. So I'm sure there are ways, but I don't think it's a, a big snowball effect necessarily. I'd say yes and no. I think anytime you're on TV and people are talking about your school, it's good for recruiting, uh, especially if you win. That's always good. But the reason I'd say no is because you still have a lot of recruiting supposed to relationships, and I think that doesn't really change the relationship aspect of recruiting. But uh, exactly. anytime you can get uh, TV time and anytime you're away from the TV and you're not being talked about, that is not good. Mm-hmm. And anytime you are being talked about and you are on TV, that is good. So I'd say it's yes and no. Right. You know, Alabama's still going to recruit well, you know, because they're playing. You know, it's, it yeah, wasn't going to affect gonna Alabama. Ohio State is still going to probably finish with the number one class in the country, and they're not playing. So, it, it you know, I'm sure there will be some effect, maybe a little bit, but I don't expect anything just crazy, crazy. Um, unless again, if some ran, if some random team comes up and wins a national title, then yeah, okay, they, you could say there will be an impact. But um, I, as for affecting the Cougs directly, I don't. The only way I see them getting greatly affected is if a kid commits to a different team that got to play and cites that as the reason. But like you said, it, it so much of its relationships, um, you know, and that's why you see kids commit to bad teams, and uh, not saying the Cougs are a bad team, but just in general, you know. That's why you'll see these, you know, highly rated prospects will commit to Sunbelt or Mountain West or lower teams over Power Five offers because they build the relationship and they like the relationship better. That just is what it is, you know. The obviously, yes, the the winning pedigree, the history, the tradition, all that has an impact, as do many, many other things. But you know, there's there are more. It is more than just the pedigree of a school or the pedigree of a of a name or a conference, etc. There's a lot that goes into recruiting. Um, so, yeah, the relationships, as you said, is the biggest piece. Uh, next question. Jaden Delora comes in uh, with more experience in the run-and-shoot offense uh, and even and is maybe considered on even ground because COVID hasn't allowed the other QBs to get a head start on him. With redshirt rules allowing four games, do you expect him to play in four games this year? Um, I th- personally think that if Delora wins the job, then, yes, he'll be the starter. If he doesn't win the job, I don't necessarily see him getting four games. Um, I, I think he would be, unless someone transfers along, I would think that um, if Cooper wins the job, Cruz is the backup. If Cruz wins the job, Cooper's the backup. Um, obviously, yes, if Jaden wins the job, he'll play more than four games. But I don't see them just getting him some action just to get him action. I think you don't oftentimes see that with quarterbacks unless there's an injury. Um, you see it more with uh, receivers, defensive backs, etc., so I think there's a better chance we see. There's a, I think there's a handful of freshmen we might see for four games. I would not expect Delora to be one of them unless he does indeed uh, win the quarterback job. I agree. I think unless he wins the quarterback job, you're probably not going to see him next year. Uh, when quarterbacks do get four games, uh, it's either there. It's a lot of injuries, and normally when there's a lot of injuries, they're not winning very much. So mm-hmm. in the last two games of the year, they're just throwing out a freshman just to see what he can do right. or you have you're playing at a school like Oklahoma and you're up by a lot so you can just get a freshman quarterback time here or there but yeah. uh, I think I really don't think he's going to play unless he wins the starting job you just don't really see that a lot with quarterbacks yeah and we should say it is not impossible that he wins the starting job I mean that's you know it is not an impossibility just not, you know, at the same time, it's not something that we're going to go out and predict. We don't know. We haven't seen practice or anything like that. 
Uh, next question, has Rolo ever started a lefty, uh, and how much does it change the offense with a left-handed quarterback? Um, I think that's obviously in regards to Cam and his lefty. So I did a little bit of research. Uh, so Hawaii's really had three quarterbacks when he was there. Drew Brown, Akaika Woolsey, and Cole McDonald. Uh, none of them were left-handed. So, now he coached, he's coached other places. So maybe somewhere down the line he's had a lefty. I don't know. You don't see a ton of left-handed quarterbacks. Uh, in regards to how that changes the offense, I think it does and it doesn't. They might change some of the routes a little bit, but I don't think it has a a massive, massive impact. And again, I've you know I've never cheered for a team that's used a left-handed quarterback in my memory. Um, so it's you know I can't say for sure, and I think there's so many righties now you don't even think about it that much. But it's not. Um, I, I would think there would be some changes, but at the same time, I don't know if there would be a great amount of uh, of adjustments in um, in how you would run the offense. Yeah, I don't really think that there's a whole lot of adjustments either. Maybe they'd flip things around and flip protect- protections around, but uh, just generally, I don't think there's a whole lot of uh, different stuff. Mm-hmm. I would agree with that. Um, how many touches will Dion McIntosh get? Is he the biggest sleeper on our offense, considering how well he runs north to south? Any chance we could see Borgie split out as a receiver with the attrition we have suffered recently? So we'll take these in order. Uh, how many touches will McIntosh get? Uh, boy, good question. Um, just so McIntosh last year, uh, he got 16 rushing attempts, and I think it had 17 receptions, so 33 touches. Um, I would say that probably goes up because we're going to run the ball more, um, but not a ton because Max Borgie's going to get more touches. I would say he probably is in line for 45, 50 touches. Maybe, you know, he gets a handful of carries here and there, but I don't think he's going to um, become a, 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 you know, I think he's the backup running back. He's the back of the max. So, no, I would not necessarily say he's the biggest sleeper on the offense. Um, I would say one of the bigger sleepers on the offense is probably one of the the overlooked receivers at this point. I think Brandon Gray's got a chance to make a big impact. He's got great size and he, he's got speed. Um, I'd th- be interesting to see what Jameer Calvin does when coming back. Uh, you know, if we see someone like Billy Possible still get in. So, you know, I, I think the, those guys might be classified more as sleepers. I think McIntosh is a good player, and I think he'll uh, I think he'll have an impact. Um, but I don't know if you can be. I, I, I have a tough time calling a guy a sleeper. Um, when he's going to be, you know, the, the clear-cut second guy to, you know, to Max. Um, and then finally, I'll, and then I'll let you answer these. Uh, any chance we could see Max split out as a receiver with the attrition we have suffered recently? Um, I would be really surprised. You know, maybe in some uh, formations, some sets, they'll line him up and, they'll, and then have him split out. But I don't think they're moving him to receiver by any means. You know, they, there's a better chance I would think that they might get Juvenzley Bazil a little more involved in that kind of game because of his speed. But... Uh, no, Max is Max is going to be your your running back. I don't think we'll see him do any sort of um, splitting out wide and you know running posts or running verticals. You know he'll be there in the the swing pass, the screens, the little uh, out routes, that kind of thing, just like he was in Leach's offense. Yeah, wheel routes too, I should say, wheel routes as well. Yeah, I think I'm thinking like 40 touches for McIntosh. Uh, there's going to be two uh, two less games three less games than last year mm-hmm. than a normal year. If you get 12 in the bowl game with 10 conference games, but uh, I think they watch and say, we'll run the ball more. And I think the will go to get some touches too. But uh, if we talk about biggest sleepers, there's a lot of guys you can name, but 
I think that Travell Harris, even though he's been a part of the offense for two years, and I think he's going to have a really, really big year. He's really shifty. I think he fits well in the offense, and I think he's a guy you can expect to have a huge year. And also, uh, Brandon Gray with Tate Martin leading, I think that's another nice name to watch out for. But uh, we, what's the last question? I don't think Porgy will split out as a receiver. Maybe some plays, maybe formations, kind of what the Coots do with James Williams at times where they mm. motion him out and uh, try to give him the ball more in space. I think you could see uh, like that. And even though the, and the Cougs did some of that with Borgie last year, they motion out and throw the ball to him. They kind of used that as a running play. But just dire- directly line him up as receiver, unless they're doing some really creative stuff every once in a while, I don't think you're going to see that. Yeah, I think, you know, um, I think there's a better chance again. You see that with Bazilo McIntosh. It's, you know, Max is too good of a runner for you to take him out of the backfield because then you, you take away the the deception of what you might be doing. Are you throwing it or are you giving it to Max? And obviously, a lot of the times you're going to be throwing it. But you know, I, and and plus, at least what we saw with Leach is Max is so effective. A as a pass blocker. I mean, he's a great pass blocker. And B with what he can do out of those backfield sets. You know, getting open on screens, getting open on swing passes. You know, I don't think you necessarily need to look for different ways to get him open. And you still have enough receivers to where I don't think you're going to be worried about not having enough guys um, in the receiver room to where you need to move Max outside um, on more than maybe a couple plays here or there. Uh, Final question. How much improvement should we expect on defense? Jihad Woods put up insane stat. Two years ago, Lamont McDougal was a freshman All-American at West Virginia. seems that we do have talent. Yeah, there's definitely talent on the defense. Um, I, I don't think there's any question. You know, Jihad is obviously a fantastic player. As uh, the question said, Lamont was all packed. Um, I think, you know, we, we've seen some of what Ron Stone and Willie Taylor can do. Will Rogers is a good player. Uh, they have a lot of talent. Um, I, I think, we've said this before, they're going to improve. Um, I, I think Jake Dickert is really, really good at his job. He knows his stuff. Um, you know, obviously the defense last year wasn't great. Uh, I do think we see improvement how much is a bit of a different question um you know keep in mind there's some bodies missing um you know they don't uh, they lost some bodies on uh, at cornerback especially um etc etc uh so um i think that it'll be better how much better we'll see i think it, it, you know is it going to be are they going to go all of a sudden to a top 20 defense in the country no are they going to probably move closer to top 75? That seems a little bit more uh, realistic. Um, but yeah, there's talent. So I think it'll be, you'll see some flashes of what they're going to do next year or whenever the season happens. And then as it goes on, they'll get better and better. And you got to think too, you know, it's it's a different scheme. So it's one of those where you have to maybe give Dickert a year or two to get more of what he's looking at for defensive players, whereas we've seen, and we've said this before, Grinch, Grinch and Clay's like the speed. So they were going to get the smaller DBs, the smaller defensive ends and tackles, uh, you know, and just outrun everyone. Dickert's going to be more traditional. You're going to have, you know, you're still going to obviously have speed at the defensive back position, but you're going to have more size. Uh, I think you're going to be beefier up front. I don't think the day, I think the days of 250, 260-pound defensive tackles is gone. You're going to get more of the 290 uh, traditional 300-pound, you know, nose tackles. Um, and then I think you'll have one kind of bigger defensive end, like a, like Cosmos Cuete, like Will uh, Will Rogers if he does move to end. And then one side uh, will be like the Ron Stone, Willie Taylor, Edge kind of hybrid that we see so much now. Yeah, I think that uh, you will see improvement. 
I don't think I think when you finish around 110th at 120 teams total defense, you pretty much can't expect the defense to get better. You can't really get a whole lot worse, mm-hmm. especially with uh, half of the returners. But with Dickert's new defense, you get a more. Of, you're right. You're more of a beefier defense, not necessarily the speed D as we've seen in the past, but more of a traditional beefier defense. And uh, I think the defense will get better, especially half the guys from last year's defense are returning. Jahad Woods did put up very good uh, numbers, and I think that uh, you can expect him to have a good year. Again, he's a really good player. Yeah. Uh, Ramon McDougal, I think that uh, he playing inside more, uh, two defensive tackles inside, he'll get more consistent playing time, which, again, more consistent playing time. Uh, he'll put up more numbers. He'll get more comfortable. We talked about this off the air with like Dan Vogelback, who used to play for the Mariners how uh, there's some guys, like with baseball, how they got to hit every day. And there's some guys with basketball got to shoot it, uh, got to play all the time for them to shoot well. You can't, they can't go in there, play five minutes here or there and expect them to hit jump shots or play every three, uh, play two times a week and expect them to hit. There's football players that got to get consistent snaps, got to get consistent reps for them to perform. And I think McDougal playing more consistently will help him. Mm-hmm. But uh, I think the defense will get better. Yeah, I would agree with that. Uh, but I think that covered it. Again, thanks for, thank you, everyone, for the question. That was a good some good talking points. And uh, we'll be making sure. I think the last couple of weeks we'd forgotten to post on the Coog fan board. Um, but we'll make sure we are doing that going forward because, obviously, we get some great questions out of that. You know, that covered a, about 25, 30 minutes of talking points. Uh, but anyways, uh, thank you, any everyone, for tuning in. You can follow us on Twitter at uh, Jamie Vinick 9, J-A-M-E-Y-V-I-N-N-I-C-K-9. You can follow Jacob at stevejac002, and of course, Kugfan at kugfan.com. Uh, be sure to check out all the other stuff that Kugfan has to offer. Uh, feel free to always send us questions, whether it be on Twitter, through Kugfan, through whatever. We'll be happy to discuss them on the show. But that does it for this episode of the Kugfan, Kugfan Podcast. This is Jamie and Jacob signing off. Thank you everyone for tuning in.